Welcome back once again to Food Toxicology. I'm Greg Muller, the instructor for this course. The issue of animal drug residues in food is one that uh, gets uh, periodic media attention and quite a bit of attention from research scientists in animal science, veterinary medicine, uh, chemistry, toxicology, and as well the regulatory science community here in the United States and internationally because of the import and export of food animal products. The issue was explored in uh, 1999 by the National Research Council in uh, this analysis was called the use of drugs in food animals, benefits and risks. What we're going to do today is try to explore the same subject area that the National Research Council took on in terms of examining the benefits and the risks associated with animal drug residues in food. The conclusions of this particular analysis uh, by the National Research Council was that yes, there are problems, but it wasn't an immediate public health concern. The primary concern that they identified and we'll discuss in detail here today is the issue of potential development of antibiotic resistance associated with using antibiotics in food animals. With that, let me talk about our learning objectives for today. What we're going to try to do is define food uh, animal drug residues. Uh, what are they? Uh, what's the scope in terms of the potential for contamination of the food supply as well as a risk development? We'll try to explore some of the relationships between food animals and drugs. And these relationships are not only in terms of animal health but also human health in terms of the potential for progression of pathogenesis from consumption of meat. We'll try to understand some of the major classes of drugs that are used in food animals. This won't be a comprehensive listing in terms of individual uh, uh, chemicals or drugs that are used in food animal production, the hundreds uh, or more of chemicals. Uh, we will try, however, to understand some of the hazards associated with food animal drug use and how we use what we have learned in this course, uh, risk assessment processes, to determine uh, regulatory enforcement tolerances associated with the residue level that is allowable in uh, the food supply. We'll try also to review the role of pharmacokinetics in the development of a term called withdrawal times. This is an important concept in the area of uh, food animal drugs. The time between the dosing of the drug and when the tissue concentrations in the appropriate tissues, whether it be muscle tissue, uh, milk or eggs, is low enough or below those regulatory tolerances. We'll try to review how the relationships of what we've learned here in toxicology in terms of pharmacokinetics, toxicokinetics, the elimination biotransformation phases uh, of removal of endogenous, uh, exogenous chemicals uh, from the uh, tissue, from the organism is accomplished. We'll try to understand some of the potential adverse effects associated with some food animal drugs. We'll try to also finish up with a discussion of the issue of antibiotic resistant bacteria and the relationship between the use of antibiotics in food animals uh, to that development which has human health implications. Well the first thing we should probably do in a discussion of animal drug residues is develop a working definition and what we'll go ahead and do is use the World Health Organization Codex Alimentarius Commission's definition 
that residues, animal drug residues, are residues of veterinary drugs that include the parent compounds and or their metabolites, and that's in any edible portion of the animal product, and it does include residues of any associated impurities in the veterinary drug formulation. Well, what is the relationship between animal drugs and food animals with food animal health? Uh, remember that food animals convert one source of nutritional en energy, and this typically is the energy uh, associated with grass or grain or hay, these various lignocellulosic sorts of materials, and they convert that into another form of nutrition for our dietary reasons. Uh, and those are more complex proteins like meat, milk, and eggs. Food animal production practice uh, actually, uh, in terms of maintaining it, especially in a uh, production economy, does require the management of, and of, uh, dedication of the producers to the animal health. Healthy animals yield uh, healthy food animal products. And this uh, application in terms of uh, food animal management uh, can require the use of drugs. Uh, this is the same sort of use of drugs in terms of pharmaceuticals that we have uh, to maintain our own personal health, uh, control infections, uh, control various aspects of disease. There's also uh, two elements, not only just the animal health management, also the industry economics. Uh, if you're uh, a farmer, a rancher, a producer in terms of food animals, uh, the economics of your production has a lot to do with the uh, reproductive efficiency, the growth efficiency, uh, the uh, food product efficiency, for example, milk and eggs, associated with the animals in your operation. And so maintaining animal health, and again, maintaining animal health with the assistance of veterinary drugs is an important part of food animal production. There can be human health effects uh, from these uh, food uh, animal drugs, and we'll talk about some of those, but we can also try to recognize that there may be human health effects associated when these drugs are not used in, in food animal production. For example, uh, increased levels of pathogens, uh, parasites uh, in uh, food and uh, food animal and meat products. Now, in terms of uh, meat, fish, and dairy consumption, the average American consumes about 200 pounds of meat and fish, about 67 pounds of poultry, about 30 pounds of eggs, and about 600 pounds of dairy products each year. So, in terms of the potential for exposure. We, uh, as Americans uh, and as consumers, and you can extrapolate this worldwide, although dietary preferences and practices will change with different cultures and different nations, but you can see that there is a potential for exposure, especially from those drugs and chemicals with high bioactivity or high concentrations or high use in many different types of food animals. Now, drug residues are analyzed, regulated, and monitored by many groups and agencies here in the United States. It's by the uh, Food and Drug Administration Center for Food Safety and Nutrition. Uh, the USDA has the uh, Food Safety Inspection Service. Uh, these are, um, they do research monitoring, but they are also have the primary responsibility for regulatory enforcement of the tolerances, the allowable levels 
of drug residues allowed in food animal products. There are also state milk ordinances. Most uh, milk is managed uh, locally by states because of the perishable nature of milk, and uh, this is usually done by state departments of agriculture under authority and in collaboration with the federal regulatory authorities. There's also uh, information bodies and analysis research bodies like uh, JEFCA, the Joint FAO WHO Food Additives International uh, Food Additives Committee, uh, which uh, offers the expert analysis. Uh, advice, opinion, and directives associated with uh, food additives such as veterinary drug residues. There are also international food agencies, and this has a lot to do with the uh, transboundary transport and distribution of food animal products from one country to another, for example, from the United States into the European economic community. Now, veterinarians are the ones that prescribe veterinary drugs under licensed authority, uh, but uh, there are some veterinary drugs that are also allowed to be used directly by food animal producers. Uh, they can be done under prescription, but also over the counter uh, in terms of the same sorts of access to various types of drugs uh, that producers have in the same way that we can go into a pharmacy and access certain over-the-counter drugs. Uh, a part of the system in terms of ensuring the safety of drugs that are used in specific uh, applications, often referred to as labeled applications, and we'll discuss off-label applications as the lecture goes on, uh, but these are uh, provided by pre-market uh, drug tests. These are very similar to the uh, types of tests and protocols uh, associated with food additives and with pesticides that are used in the food system. There's also a practice, uh, perhaps a good uh, um, production practice, referred to as residue avoidance testing. And this is uh, quite often done on the farm in terms of if an animal or a group of animals is under medication. Uh, there are uh, quick tests, farm available tests to make sure that the milk or, for example, the urine of those animals is showing clear of residues, an indicator that in fact it's uh, uh, reached a withholding time and there is uh, perhaps not uh, uh, a, a residue. As well, uh, the enforcement or the use of drug labels in terms of a prescribed use of an animal drug is an important part of the system that ensures uh, uh, that any drug residues found in food animal products are minimized. Now, in terms of food animal species, uh, there's many of them in terms of common. We have major species are cattle and cows, swine, uh, chicken, and turkeys. These provide most of the food animal products uh, on our table. Uh, here in the U.S. We do have minor species that do contribute, and they include sheep, goats, uh, llamas, alpacas, chemical uh, camels, uh, deer, and, and various other animals uh, that are a part of this food production system. Now, in terms of the classes or the major classes of drugs used in food animals, there's five of them. They include topical antiseptics or, and bactericides or fungicides that are used uh, dermally, typically, uh, on the skin. Ionophores, uh, which are used for various applications, we'll discuss these. 
um, some steroids for anabolic growth uh, uh, promotion and also peptide uh, growth promoters, antiparasitic drugs uh, for parasitic infections like worms, and antibiotics to deal with uh, uh, microbial uh, infectious processes. Now, in terms of uh, the food animal drugs, there are several other uh, minor uh, types of food animal drugs. Uh, these are drugs that are used uh, by producers to modify the GI tracts of primarily ruminants, uh, and it has a lot to do with cattle production and minimizing uh, the likelihood of uh, bloating uh, and uh, rumen foaming associated with certain diets. Uh, in aquaculture, there are certain organic and inorganic water treatments to reduce uh, various uh, infectious processes uh, in fish. And there are various other types of drugs that are used for specific applications throughout veterinary medicine. Now, in terms of the categories, the topical antiseptics, bactericides, and fungicides are typically used to treat surface skin, hoof infections, uh, cuts, and abrasions. Because of their particular use, we are now dominated in terms of presentation uh, into the animal by transdermal absorption. And we know and understand that there can be some uptake uh, some transdermal absorption, and in some cases, animals that lick their wounds will, will actually orally uh, be exposed uh, to particular uh, uh, drugs or pharmaceuticals that are intended for topical use. Uh, uh, for example, if you own a cat or a dog, uh, uh, it is a challenge sometimes to treat surface wound and not have them lick the dressing off. Ionophores are a class of uh, chemicals. Uh, I've uh, given you the structure of monensin. Uh, these are polyether um, chelating reagents, uh, typically sodium uh, chelates. They alter the rumen microorganisms and they provide some more favorable and efficient energy uh, transfer in terms of bacterial conversion of feeds. And so again, this is to try to change the uh, microbial flora in the rumen. There is some protection uh, against some types of parasites. Third class of uh, the major chemicals used in uh, food animals include steroid, uh, anabolic steroid growth promoters and peptide production uh, enhancers. The mechanism of action of these uh, drugs include uh, uh, interaction of the testosterone and estrogen type uh, receptors. Um, if you recall our discussion in uh, our discussion of genetically modified organisms and the production through GMO and biotech techniques of BST or recombinant bovine uh, somatotropin, uh, this is uh, a steroidal compound given to cows to increase their, their milk production. Another class of uh, drugs is the antiparasite drugs. Uh, ivermectin is a, a popular one in this category. Uh, these are used to control fleas and ticks, and so uh, the flea or tick uh, uh, dressing that you use in your pet uh, is in this particular category. Uh, it's used to control mange, which is a mite infection, worms, uh, giardia, uh, coccidia, uh, which are protozoal, um, uh, protozoal intestinal uh, parasites that lead to coccidiosis. And the category of antibiotics are those chemicals that are used to control overt and uh, diseases in terms of uh, microbial infections, as well as occult or subclinical infections. Uh, uh, 
to make sure that, for instance, the animal is applying all of its energy to uh, food production, uh, for instance, eggs or milk, and not in fighting off subclinical disease. Uh, sometimes these are used uh, in uh, a growth promotion uh, mechanism uh, in terms of subtherapeutic doses. Uh, this is one of the issues in terms of uh, the potential for um, uh, the development of antibiotic resistant bacteria is the issue of subtherapeutic dosing. And so this is a dosing of antibiotics to animals um, without the presentation of, an, of a uh, microbial-based disease. Uh, it's only the potential of that disease. And so this is continuous, uh, quite often, low dosing of the food or water associated with animal production with these antibiotics. And this is what gives uh, some people in risk assessment uh, and in infectious disease control uh, uh, quite a bit of concern in terms of the development of these uh, uh, very, very bad bugs that are, that are drug resistant. Now we have to recognize that the use of drugs in food producing animals uh, is potentially dangerous because of its presentation of these bioactive chemicals uh, in food animal products. And so this does require a risk and benefits analysis. And here in food toxicology, we've gone through several times and we'll do it again today briefly, uh, the whole risk assessment, uh, risk management approach in terms of chemical use in the human food chain. Some of the other risk modifiers associated with uh, food animal uh, drug use is the use of these withdrawal times, which is the extension of the elimination phase uh, out beyond where the tissues uh, will have only a residual concentration below a tolerance level established in terms of concern in the human diet. As well, there are residue avoidance practices, uh, producers that are working, uh, this is their business, uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, veterinary drugs are expensive. Uh, even more expensive is the uh, possibility that uh, your food animal product, be it meat, milk, or eggs, uh, gets rejected because of a drug residue. And uh, not only the production lost in terms of the condemnation of the food product, but also the potential uh, fines and legal action associated with misuse of the drugs uh, in products intended for the human food chain. Some of the major issues that we have identified in terms of human health risk and food animal drugs include drug residue allergies, and we reviewed that as a food additive. We have several classes of food animal drugs uh, that are potential allergens. We have some concerns about cancer and reproduction effects and developmental effects in terms of kids and developing neurological systems, developing hormonal systems. Uh, hormone use in animal agriculture is a direct concern in terms of some of these endpoints. We have uh, of major concern the potential and demonstrated uh, development of antibiotic resistant microbes. And we can actually culture antibiotic resistant microbes uh, from various uh, types of livestock. As well, a final category is drug misuse. Uh, this can be intentional misuse, and this can be the use of a drug that is violative in just using it, using it in a violative type or uh, way of application, or just mistakenly applying it uh, to uh, a situation where in fact it produces toxic residues. And we'll talk a few case studies, we'll talk about a few case studies 
of when we've seen uh, human illness associated with uh, drug misuse. Now this graphic is uh, fairly complex and uh, we've seen it once before in our introductory lectures about uh, risk assessment and risk management. That's um, the triad of risk, uh, so to speak, and if we uh, talk about where we deal a lot in uh, a course like food toxicology, it's in the red circle over here of risk assessment where we start off uh, using, um, trying to characterize the risk using a hazard identification. What are the hazards, for instance, uh, allergenicity? And then developing the actual data, and quite often this is animal data, and typically it starts off as rodent data, mice and rats, to quantitatively relate dose with selective responses. We'll do an exposure assessment to see, in fact, if this was being intended to be used in a food product, what is the range of consumption for various population subgroups in terms of exposure to that food group, and to do an aggregate assessment of all different foods where this chemical residue may appear, and also to do a benefits assessment. Um, obviously, for example, if you're talking about an anti-cancer drug used in humans, you're looking at a lethal disease, uh, some times in cancer, versus a lethality uh, or a uh, potential lethality in the actual use of the, de of the drug. There's a trade-off in terms of uh, that risk-benefit for human pharmaceuticals, and we have similar sorts of examinations of benefits with food animal drugs in terms of a safe and productive uh, food supply. Um, this risk characterization uh, interfaces with legislative mandates that are publicly driven. Uh, when we look at uh, why we have a Delaney Clause, we have a Delaney Clause because there was a dissatisfaction with the status quo of the U.S. food production system uh, in the earlier part of the last century. All of this actually pushes forth um, governmental response in terms of congressional or political response as well as agency response. This agency response is a part of the risk management uh, part of this triad. And these regulatory decisions are based on uh, regulations that are developed by Congress in response to uh, constituent pressure and uh, enforcement criteria such as particular tolerances. All of this go about to help make a uh, safer food supply, but you have to recognize that this is an, an iterative process. It repeats in cycle every two time we have new findings, new data, new research, or perhaps the development of new social attitudes about relative risks and risk acceptance, that the organization and the cycling of this triad can actually start again and produce, in some cases, different results. Okay. Now, in terms of our establishing or looking at a tolerable level of a food animal drug, um, what we're going to start off with is a hazard identification process. And in broad stroke, with regards to food animal drugs, we find that there are short-term hazards such as allergenicity or acute toxicity, but there are also longer-term considerations of things like microbiological effects in terms of uh, uh, disease resistance, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, bacteriological resistance to some of these antibiotics. 
there's carcinogenicity effects, reproductive effects, teratogenicity effects, all of these potential endpoints, as well as all of the endpoints of toxicology that we've reviewed thus far in this course. Give you some examples in terms of some of the hazards uh, that we've identified with various uh, food animal drugs uh, in recent history. Our first example is clenbuterol, and this is a non-steroidal anabolic and uh, metabolism accelerator. It's also used uh, in some animals in terms of uh, opening up their respiratory tracts. Uh, it's uh, a drug that has been abused by athletes, uh, by racehorses as well. Um, in uh, 1990 in Spain, there was an outbreak where 135 people fell uh, ill from eating contaminated liver, uh, liver that was contaminated with clenbuterol. Uh, there were several hospitalizations, tachycardia, muscle tremors, headaches, nausea, fever, and chills. Uh, just uh, in December of 2005 in Jalisco, Mexico, uh, there were 225 people that fell ill after consuming beef and beef liver. They experienced signs of trembling headache and malaise. And so you can see that clenbuterol is a chemical food drug that, if used, needs to be uh, uh, kept away from the human food chain in, term of, in terms of animal disease management. An example of allergenicity is the beta-lactam antibiotics. Uh, people uh, in uh, small percentages, about 1% or less, have uh, some sort of allergenicity to a range of compounds. Uh, there have been observed in humans anaphylactic reactions uh, to uh, beta-lactam antibiotics. Uh, when you go to your physician, physician, he or she often asks you, are you uh, allergic to any drugs? Uh, and typically the first or sensitization uh, is the development of some spots, uh, the prevention of anaphylactic uh, response to, to uh, various types of antibiotics, whether it be sulfur drugs or the beta-lactams, has to do with avoidance of that particular class of, of drugs. There have been uh, reported uh, anaphylactic uh, reactions to uh, beef and pork uh, containing penicillin-type drugs. Another category of toxic endpoint are microbiological effects, and this has to do with the disruption uh, or potential disruption of the normal human flora in the intestine. The concern here is that uh, the types of bacteria in our gut, uh, there are friendlies and not-so-friendlies, and in a certain sense, they're doing a continuous battle uh, for dominance, and if you disrupt the, uh, uh, the, the uh, sides, the populations of the goods and the bads in terms of microbes in the gut, there's a potential for causing disease. Uh, there's a concern that somehow some of the uh, enteric uh, bacteria that are f important for gut function are actually the direct types of bacteria that are targets of many food-producing animal uh, antibiotics. Another category of toxic concern is carcinogenicity. Um, some compounds that are demonstrated carcinogens are the nitrofurans and the nitroimidazoles. 
one chemical drug uh, that was in this particular category is furazolidone, and it and the parent compound and its metabolites uh, have been shown to induce cancer in animals. Uh, in, it was an approved uh, drug for a wide variety of uh, disease conditions in poultry and swine. Uh, the approval was withdrawn in 1991 under the Delaney Clause of the Food uh, uh, Drug and uh, Cosmetic Act. Another toxic endpoint of concern in terms of food animal drugs is reproductive and teratogenic effects. And the classic example in this is uh, DES or diethylstilbestrol. This is a synthetic estrogen that uh, has been used uh, as a growth promoting agent in livestock. Uh, it's got an extraordinarily uh, dark past in, uh, in use as a human drug. Uh, it was used uh, in pregnant women in the 1940s uh, for a couple of uh, applications in terms of uh, during pregnancy uh, applications. Uh, it had to do with uh, a calming effect and an antidiuretic. Um, what they found, uh, it took about, it was on the market for about 12 or 13 years, that uh, the female offspring of these uh, women that took this particular drug uh, developed uh, a fairly high rate, about one in a thousand uh, cases of vaginal clear cell adenocarcinoma as a, uh, a uh, mut mutation associated with uh, second generation effects. Uh, there were also uh, a high rate of observation of structural uh, abnormalities of the uterus associated with uh, DES. Uh, DES was never taken off the market, but it was in such low favor that it was actually drawn, withdrawn from uh, production and manufacturing as an animal drug uh, in the late 1990s. In terms of dose response and exposure assessment, if you recall our discussions in various lectures in uh, food toxicology, uh, we have a process of using the quantitative relationship of dose and response and the uh, analysis of exposure to come up with a process for risk assessment and for risk management. It starts off with toxicological tests in laboratory animals, and this is part of a preclinical drug development. So in the same way we saw all of those different uh, chemical trials, uh, food, I mean, animal laboratory animal trials in terms of food additives and for pesticides, we have the same thing in terms of the development of the data package for a uh, drug uh, pre-market authorization drug package. Uh, we use that information to develop the no-observed uh, adverse effect levels. We then apply uh, comparative toxicology safety factors and safety factors associated with the particular types of toxic endpoints, for example, uh, reproductive or developmental toxicity endpoints. We then use that uh, information in terms of applying all these safety factors uh, to do an acceptable daily intake based on lifetime exposure, or the ADI. We then uh, will characterize that in terms of potential for subpopulation sensitivity. Uh, that can be people, for example, that uh, eat a specific, more of a specific type of uh, food animal product uh, than perhaps other segments of the population. We'll do a food consumption survey and we'll do aggregate exposure surveys in terms of assessing the potential exposure 
associated uh, with uh, the different food products and the residues that may appear in them. We use all of that information then to develop the regulatory tolerance level. And this is the very same as the tolerance level uh, used in the FDA Red Book for pesticide residues in foods. So these are regulatory levels. These are actionable levels in terms of if you exceed, it is a violative residue. It's an illegal residue, typically facing condemnation of the food product. Combination of the food product means that it has to be used in some other application than the human food chain. And so sometimes it's put to food animal use and sometimes it's plowed into the ground. This tolerance level is defined as the maximum permissible residue level which may be present in tissues or food animal products and it is actionable. Um, unlike an action level that we've talked about, for instance, in food additives and non-intentional food additives, Action levels are levels of concern. It's levels that uh, inspire uh, regulatory action, but it doesn't have the same weight, perhaps, as a tolerance level. These tolerances that are developed are specific for various species and for the food product in tissues associated with each of those species. So for example, you'll have a tolerance for liver, kidney, fat, and muscle of a particular animal drug, or if it's a food animal product like milk or eggs. An important concept in uh, the management of, uh, of uh, food animal drug residues is called withdrawal time. And this is the time that's required for a drug or chemical concentration to fall below that tolerance level that we have defined. And so if that tolerance level is the legal limit that is allowed, it's the highest level in a tissue before it is condemned, uh, that is the amount of time then, the withdrawal time for the animal after dosing to have tissue levels in all of those various tissues below that particular tolerance level. Now tolerance level is going to be specific uh, to drugs and the dose and the formulation, the route of administration, the species that it's used on, uh, the type of target tissue and disease management factors associated with the particular site-specific application. Uh, now, you probably realize in terms of your present understanding of food toxicology that uh, pharmacokinetics or toxicokinetics uh, is going to be a major uh, mechanism in terms of determining what the withdrawal time is. Remember that pharmacokinetics gives us an indication of the rate of elimination of an exogenous chemical substance like a food animal drug. And so you have to remember, in terms of pharmacokinetics, we're always worried about the, the maintenance of a therapeutic level. Uh, in terms of the volume of distribution of the animal, uh, we want to maintain a level of the drug that's going to have a therapeutic positive endpoint, okay? Versus uh, the elimination uh, once the dosing has uh, stopped. And this can, again, be very, very specific on the particular chemical, the routes of elimination, and for example, things like the lipophilicity of the particular chemical. So it is different for different tissues, and so we need to manage it and particularly uh, take the most conservative aspect in terms of any sort of extrapolation of data. This next uh, figure gives you kind of an idea. This is a, an idealized uh, representation of the toxicokinetics associated with a food animal drug. 
On the x-axis, this is the time after the dosing in terms of the numbers of days, 10, 20, 30, 40 days after dosing. On the y-axis, we have tissue concentration. This is a logarithmic axis in milligrams per kilogram or parts per million uh, for some uh, example drug. And the idea, obviously, with using uh, any sort of uh, drug therapy is to achieve some sort of therapeutic level that is going to have some bioactivity against the particular uh, pathogen uh, or disease uh, that the animal is experiencing or could experience. Um, this is uh, kind of the targeted level of, or concentration in terms of uh, therapeutic level. Following uh, the dosing, there is going to be some amount of time where you have uh, typically first-order kinetics in terms of uh, the uh, kinetics of elimination. And as the tissue concentrations, and remember that this tissue concentration will be different for every tissue that you examine, whether it's blood, whether it's urine, whether it's kidney tissue, whether it's muscle tissue. And so this is going to have to be analyzed for the particular edible tissue associated with the food animal product. But the idea is that uh, tracking this elimination at some point, it crosses this tolerance level where because of risk assessment and the associated safety factors, we've said it is a, a, a safe product to eat. Once it crosses that threshold, that's the time of withdrawal. And so, uh, for instance, in this case, uh, you would be waiting 30 days after dosing in terms of the withdrawal time between the time of dosing and the time between there can be some harvest of that animal food product, okay, and that can be slaughtered. Typically, when you're dealing with withdrawal times, there is obviously variability in animal-to-animal, situation-to-situation, and most producers will be quite conservative in terms of looking at withdrawal from drugs, especially drugs that are known to have residue problems in terms of monitoring. This animal drug withdrawal time is experimentally determined. Uh, it's the time required that all these concentrations in the various tissues uh, are below tolerances. Remember our, con our discussions of the margin of safety, where uh, essentially in, in margin of safety, the lethal dose for 1% of the population divided by the effective dose for 99% of the population uh, we want that number uh, to be a, a very, very, very uh, large number um, in terms of uh, the, the margin. Uh, and so the safety factor needs to be very large uh, and protective uh, in terms of 95% confidence of 99% of the population. These trials uh, and uh, the, the development of withdrawal times in terms of the formal uh, drug studies uh, are very expensive. Uh, there's limited products that have gone through this in terms of especially the minor uh, food animals. Uh, there's a, a significant uh, amount of healthy animals uh, that are used in these particular uh, experiments to monitor their pharmacokinetics. Some other considerations associated with animal drug withdrawal time have to do with uh, various aesthetic uh, considerations. Uh, these withdrawal times might be modified. For example, even below tolerance, uh, maybe a particular drug will give an off flavor or an off taste or smell to a food product, uh, even though it's not a risk, it's a sensory problem. 
there may be, for instance, uh, risks that are perceived by the public, and so there's regulatory pressure from constituents uh, to lower withdrawal, lower uh, tolerances or increase withdrawal times. Uh, there can be sensitive uh, populations and various issues associated with uh, drug residues. And one of the strongest uh, uh, modifiers to animal drug withdrawal times is uh, international relations and some of the trade barriers put up. Uh, for example, if we are exporting to a country whose tolerance is significantly lower than the one that we have established in the United States, then enhanced uh, withdrawal times uh, will yield to those lower uh, levels, below tolerance levels that might be appropriate for international trade. Now in terms of uh, veterinary or animal drug usage, uh, there, we have a labeled drug usage and in the same way we discussed about pesticides where a pesticide label is a licensing authority. Um, you're supposed to use a pesticide according to its label and non-label uses are illegal. Uh, we talked about the application of aldicarb in watermelons uh, producing toxicosis in hundreds of people in California in the mid-80s. The same sort of potential exists in animal drug use, although there is a condition called extra-label or off-label use. Uh, this is when veterinarians and producers uh, will use uh, as a condition needs a higher dose than a label uh, requires uh, perhaps a different route of administration than what the label uh, states. Uh, it might be used on a different species than in the label, and this might be a species that really wasn't directly tested necessarily. And there might be a different disease indication in terms of uh, the veterinary practitioner's observations. Uh, in terms of the limits uh, and extensions of what uh, extra label uses can be, this was actually uh, given uh, in high discretionary uh, way to two veterinarians under the 1996 AMDUCA Act, it's the Animal Medicinal and Drug Use Clarification Act, to make sure that veterinarians were somewhat in charge in terms of making these critical decisions about how best to use uh, animal drugs, again, in consultation with the manufacturers, in consultation with regulatory authorities, uh, with uh, databases and information resources like FARAD. These uh, kind of help to, to manage animal disease conditions without the regulatory burden that might be associated with uh, practice before 1996. Uh, it does not apply to uh, feed or water additives, and so this is a site-specific, case-specific modification in terms of an extra-labeled use. It's not it's not to be regarded as a continuing practice. Uh, there are several drug classes because of the nature of the drugs and the potential for toxicity where these drugs uh, are not able to be used in this extra-labeled way. Um, MDUCA also listed uh, several uh, types of drugs and categories of drugs that are prohibited for use in food animals uh, like clenbuterol. Uh, the withdrawal time itself, uh, because of the extra-labeled use, uh, may not have been developed for a particular species or a particular uh, age group within that species, like a veal calf. Uh, so what happens is the practitioner, again in consultation with manufacturers and regulatory authorities, will extrapolate withdrawal times on best available knowledge. 
uh, a good uh, uh, place to start in terms of withdrawal times is taking the half-life of that drug and multiplying it by 10. It's a common figure that is used. Another category of veterinary drugs is very similar to the human drugs that we find in our own drugstore, and these are over-the-counter medicines. Uh, these are the majority of animal drugs that are sold in the United States. They can still be problematic in terms of the same way human drugs sold over-the-counter can be problematic in terms of drug interactions, drug overdoses. Uh, these over-the-counter veterinary drugs can also uh, cause uh, animal residues, and uh, they also need to be used according to label, even though they're available without a veterinarian intervention. In terms of uh, drug residue testing, uh, target tissues that are tested uh, include the food product itself. Uh, milk testing is extraordinarily widespread. In terms of uh, carcass testing, kidneys, because uh, they tend to accumulate many uh, animal drugs, are one of the uh, target uh, tissues that are tested in terms of identification of possible drug residues. There are various on-site and laboratory tests associated with this because of the wide range and the numbers of classes of drugs. Uh, there are several sorts of uh, broad spectrum tests that will identify whether one of a class of chemicals uh, is present. Uh, there's stop tests, which are swab tests on premises. FAST test, which is uh, an acronym for fast antimicrobial screen test. There's uh, SOS, or sulfa on site. In milk production, uh, there's CHARM2 and SNAP tests, and these identify uh, uh, residues of antibiotics. For example, antibiotics uh, that might be found in the milk being delivered to a cheese factory. Well, cheese plants uh, depend on uh, certain bacterial strains to produce their cheese. Obviously, if they have a batch of milk that arrives with antibiotics, uh, it uh, doesn't make cheese, and so it not only is a food uh, 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 residue concern, but it's also a food processing concern for cheesemakers. In terms of laboratory tests, there's an array of uh, test protocols, uh, regulatory and research grade. Uh, these involve various instrumental methods of analysis, typically like uh, HPLC, high-pressure liquid chromatography, gas chromatography, and as well mass spectrometry for identification of particular drugs. Now, in terms of uh, taking a snapshot of some of the food animal uh, drug residues that appear out in the U.S. food system, we can take a look at the FDA milk drug residue database. Uh, the most recent one available and complete is uh, 2003. In this particular year, uh, over 4 million samples were analyzed uh, for these various animal drug residues. About 3,000 of them uh, were positive for a residue, and that might, that's positive for a residue, uh, uh, and there's some validation that occurs in terms of a screening technique and a follow-up residue validation technique. The types of samples in terms of milk screening, for example, uh, bulk milk pickup tanker is one of them, and this is the, the tanker that delivers the raw milk uh, from a producer uh, to a more uh, centralized distribution or milk uh, pasteurization or processing facility. Uh, they sample pasteurized milk, uh, fluid milk, and milk products, uh, such as um, a finished product uh, in a package. 
and as well they go to the farm and look at producer level uh, product in terms of determining drug residues. If we take a look at the sources of the different types of samples in terms of bulk, uh, pasteurized fluid milk producers, in terms of the number of tests, we come up with that four million. In terms of the number positive and the percent positive, these are uh, substantially uh, small uh, numbers overall uh, on the order of a tenth of a percent or less, uh, more likely to be uh, positive at the producer level than at the uh, bulking level, and this probably has a lot more to do with the dilution of bulk uh, uh, processing. In terms of the disposition of those positives, that means these samples that were declared in violation in terms of having an unacceptable residue, a uh, significant number of pounds, 76 uh, million pounds of product, uh, designated as not fit for human consumption, a significant reject rate in terms of milk screening and the appearance of drug residues. In terms of the residues by drug family, this list gives you an idea of the total number of tests for various uh, chemicals uh, that are uh, uh, used commonly in dairies, uh, and again, over four million tests. Of those, uh, about uh, 3,200 positive, uh, these were positive on screening. Uh, they may not have been positive on final uh, validation. Uh, here, for instance, in beta-lactams, uh, the penicillin-type drugs, uh, 3,200 uh, were actually uh, found to be screen positive in terms of that, or about 0.075% of the 4 million tests run in the United States for that particular type of compound. In terms of meat monitoring from the Food Safety Inspections Service in 2003, the results we find is that the penicillin and sulfonamid drugs, these antibiotics, were commonly detected at uh, most commonly detected uh, at violative levels uh, in swine and cattle. It isn't a common occurrence, I, I need to clarify. These are all uh, on the order of less than a tenth of a percent. Uh, neomycin and gensomycin mycin were detected in a number of cattle, uh, particularly calves. Other drugs uh, detected in cattle and swine included uh, uh, tilmycosin, uh, flunixin, and various tetracyclines. Uh, in poultry, uh, arsenicals were detected primarily because of the use of an arsenical called roxarsone. The drugs most likely uh, to be detected in meat uh, in this particular survey, uh, according to one analysis, <coughs> included penicillin, uh, tetracycline, uh, sulfonamides, neomycin, gensomycin, uh, fluorixin, uh, flunixin, I'm sorry, uh, streptomycin, and arsenicals. Now let's go ahead and survey uh, this class of compounds to take a look a little bit at the risk, uh, the adverse risk associated with uh, these uh, residues being in uh, food animal products. Uh, penicillin derivatives are beta-lactam antibiotics. Uh, they're widely used in cattle, swine, and poultry uh, to treat a range of uh, infections. Uh, they are used in some feed and drinking water as additives to prevent some diseases. And so this is the subtherapeutic dosing uh, I referred to earlier in the lecture. 
In terms of some of the potential adverse effects for penicillin, usually we find that uh, penicillin is rapid clearance from the blood via the kidneys and into the urine. We find that the organ meats of kidney and liver contain about a hundredfold higher concentration of these uh, category of drugs than muscle tissues. We do find in terms of human populations that uh, allergy, allergic reactions uh, are the prime uh, tar target endpoint in terms of toxicity. Uh, the allergy rate in terms of different populations, human populations for penicillin is about three to 10%. Um, there's no evidence in terms of the literature that uh, there has been a sensitization of the human population to penicillin allergy via foodborne residue. Uh, we do know of some cases of persons with known sensitivity having suffered allergic reaction to meat products that contain penicillin type residues. It's estimated about 0.6 micrograms uh, could cause uh, an allergic reaction in a sensitive ind individual and about uh, oh, perhaps uh, one-tenth of that uh, in milk for a very sensitive uh, individual. There have been two recorded cases of anaphylactic reactions uh, with known hypersensitivity to penicillin, one in a steak in 1984 and one in pork in 1972. Uh, the the uh, joint uh, WHO uh, Food Additives Committee, Committee on Food Additives, estimated that uh, residues in meat, uh, including kidney and liver, that if those residues were at the maximum residue level uh, recommended by uh, JECFA at 0.05 parts per million for milk um, and uh, 0.004 parts per million uh, for meat, that uh, the maximum daily intake of penicillin from these residues would be 29 micrograms. Next category of potential adverse food reactions from meat products includes tetracyclines. These are a broad spectrum antibiotic. They're used in a variety of infectious uh, uh, process treatments. And it's also used as a growth promoter, again, in a subclinical, subtherapeutic uh, level to manage uh, uh, low infectious rates and allow the animal to, uh, instead of battle disease, uh, try to put on uh, weight. In terms of some of the potential adverse effects of tetracyclines, uh, in humans we find that about 60% of the ingested dose is absorbed from the gastrointestinal tract and then it's widely distributed throughout the body. Particularly we find it in the liver and the kidney, bones and the teeth. Uh, tetracyclines uh, actually have been associated with teeth scarring in humans in terms of people that are sensitive or have overdosed on tetracyclines. There's little metabolism of the drug uh, in humans or animals, and it is primarily excreted uh, in the urine. Uh, tetracyclines are not found to be mutagenic or carcinogenic or teratogenic in animal studies, but there are some toxic endpoints in high doses. The no observed adverse effect level is 18 milligrams per kilogram of body weight per day. Oxytet uh, did induce antibiotic resistance in coliforms in the human intestine, and uh, JECFA actually used this particular endpoint to develop the maximum residue allowed. Uh, the no observed effect level in terms of that study was two milligrams per person per day. 
What we find is that there have been some reports of uh, allergenicity associated with tetracyclines, but no cases have been involved with foodborne residues. Uh, JECFA estimated that if uh, over counter residues, uh, uh, that oxytetracycline residues in meat, uh, milk, and eggs were at the maximum residue level, uh, these residues would total 260 micrograms per day. In terms of uh, the next class of chemicals that we find in terms of uh, uh, meat residues, the sulfonamides, these are classic chemicals that are used to treat uh, a wide variety of bacterial and coccidial infections in various food producing animals. Uh, uh, they're used as growth promoters in swine. Uh, there's, uh, I think, about two dozen chemicals that I know of that are in this category. These are the well-known sulfa drugs uh, that uh, were the largest early class of antibiotics, and they've developed since then. Uh, many people do have sulfa-type drugs, uh, and there are various other sulfa-based chemicals used to, to uh, treat other sorts of diseases in humans. Some of the potential side effects of sulfonamides, uh, they're metabolized uh, by numerous pathways um, uh, with a major metabolite being an uh, acetyl derivative. The data that was uh, analyzed by JECFA uh, indicated that the primary mechanism of toxicity was associated with the thyroid and suggested that thyroid and thyroid hormones is the endpoint uh, that is mo uh, that is uh, targeted for, should be targeted for monitoring. The no observed adverse effect level uh, for sulfonamides is 2.2 milligrams per kilogram body weight per day. Um, there have been reports of hypersensitivity reactions to therapeutic levels of sulfonamides, but there have not been cases of foodborne uh, sensitivity or allergenicity to sulfonamides. Neomycin is another uh, uh, food animal drug. It's an aminoglycoside antibiotic. Uh, it's uh, one that we use uh, in terms of uh, topical applications, for instance, in Neosporin and various products that are available in human pharmacies. It's used uh, to treat intestinal, respiratory, and wound infections, as well as mastitis in dairy cows. Some of the potential adverse effects of neomycin is uh, that it is uh, not uh, readily metabolized in animals or humans. It's not genotoxic, but like streptomycin and gentamicin, it actually has been reported to cause uh, damage to the kidney and also uh, in a very uh, distinct way uh, to damage hearing. Uh, recent data show that uh, people with a rare mutation in their mitochondrial DNA might be more susceptible to this uh, deafness endpoint. Uh, JECFA based its recommendation uh, for maximum daily intake of 3.6 milligrams per kilogram body weight per day on this endpoint uh, in a guinea pig study, uh, loss of hearing. JECFA also calculated that the estimated dose of neomycin from veterinary drug residues is about 3 milligrams per kilogram day, primarily uh, from milk, uh, kidney, and muscle and that this level was going to be about 3,000 times less than the recommended oral therapeutic dose of neomycin. Gensomycin is an aminoglycoside uh, antibiotic. 
Uh, it also uh, actually has been reported to cause damage to the kidney and also to hearing. It's depleted rapidly from muscle and fat, but it does persist in kidney and liver. Uh, we talked about how the kidney is often used in terms of drug monitoring, drug residue monitoring in slaughterhouses. It's not readily metabolized uh, in animals or in humans. Uh, JECFA estimated that if the residues in meat were at the recommended maximum uh, uh, residue level, the maximum daily intake of, of gensomycin would, from residues uh, would be 785 micrograms. Flunixin is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory or NSAID drug. Uh, we take many NSAIDs uh, for various aches and pains that uh, ail us. It's uh, analgesic in its properties, and it's the only such drug uh, allowed for use by veterinarians. It inhibits prostaglandin synthesis uh, in animals in the same way it does in humans. Uh, so it's quite similar to aspirin in terms of its uh, uh, biochemical effect. NSAIDs are commonly used in human medicine, so uh, it actually is uh, believed to be a relatively safe drug in terms of its potential use in uh, food animals, and its food residues should not be harmful. Uh, it has not been adequately tested in terms of human and especially with regards to potential for hypersensitivity in some populations. Streptomycin is another uh, drug that uh, is marked in terms of uh, its appearance as a food residue. It also is a an aminoglycosidic uh, antibiotic. It's used for treating bacterial infections in various food-producing animals. It also is not readily absorbed from the GIT uh, because of its high molecular mass, uh, and it is not metabolized significantly following uh, injection uh, in terms of uh, toxicological study. Its oral doses are eliminated primarily unchanged uh, through fecal elimination. Uh, animal studies indicate the most sensitive endpoint was a decrease in weight, and this was used to set the uh, acceptable daily intake at 30 micrograms per kilogram body weight. There are some reports of allergic reactions to streptomycin, but none of these have included exposure to residues in food. One significant uh, adverse effect that was noted occurred uh, in the infants of women that were administered in uh, intramuscular uh, doses of streptomycin uh, in the first trimester of pregnancy. Uh, there was a uh, teratogenesis or a damage observed uh, in the cranial nerve of the uh, infant, and uh, the uh, child was born with congenital deafness. Um, streptomycin may have some adverse effects on kidney function, but there have been no other evidence of uh, fertility or reproductive uh, 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 events. It is not, effect, it's not uh, expected that the low doses uh, that are associated with food residues or uh, with the uh, low absorption of streptomycin uh, would affect uh, fetal development as opposed to the clinical case of the individuals receiving one gram biweekly uh, doses to treat infectious disease during pregnancy. 
Our final category is uh, the category of arsenicals. Uh, these compounds are used in swine and poultry as growth promoters and uh, to prevent uh, bacterial enteritis or infectious processes of the gut. The most commonly used arsenic compound for poultry is called roxarsone. Uh, the chemical structure is here on this particular slide. Most roxarsone is excreted unchanged, uh, but its metabolites have been uh, detected in hen urine. It's poorly retained in poultry meat. The FDA limit in terms of chicken meat is uh, 0.5 parts per million. Uh, inorganic arsenic uh, we know is a carcinogen, uh, and it may adversely affect circulatory and nervous systems, however, uh, organic arsenic is regarded as significantly less toxic. Uh, it's a naturally occurring product in many shellfish, for example, uh, and some of these uh, compounds like arsenobetaine and shellfish are considered harmless. Uh, diets containing 800 milligrams per kilogram roxarsone cause decreased body weight in mites. Uh, rats were determined to be more sensitive, and they showed lower body weights on diets of 200 to 400 milligrams per kilogram. There was uh, equivocal evidence for carcinogenicity in male rats uh, fed high doses of 100 parts per million roxarsone for two years, but no evidence in females, rats, uh, and both sexes of mice. Well, this leads us to the next uh, category of concern in terms of the use of drugs in food-producing animals, and this is the development of antibiotic-resistant uh, bacteria. Uh, the issue in terms of uh, infectious disease uh, doctors, physicians, researchers, is that uh, we are breeding bad bugs that we will have no drugs for in terms of uh, maintaining public health. Uh, this has become a major issue in terms of drug use in food animals and its potential role in breeding these antibiotic-resistant uh, uh, bacteria. Uh, there is also a related issue, and perhaps even more so, in terms of the overuse, overprescription of antibiotics in terms of human medicine. Uh, this figure from the CDC gives an idea from the uh, 1980s uh, through uh, the early 2000s of the increase of resistant strains of uh, various microbes. Uh, in blue, we have MRSA, or uh, methicillin-resistant staphylococcus. You can see that the percent incidence of resistant strains is up over 50% uh, in recent time. Uh, for VREs, or vancomycin-resistant enterococci, uh, you can see that these are uh, in double digits, uh, approaching 30% as are the FQRPs, or the fluoroquinolone-resistant pseudomonas, uh, also uh, exceeding 20 and approaching 30% in terms of the percent incidence. This is of concern in terms of uh, public health and public health authorities. And the linkage to meat uh, is, uh, uh, in some cases, uh, clear to some of the development of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. When researchers have examined this, and especially they've examined this uh, in relationship to how much certain types of drugs, of drugs were used uh, in their relationship to the development of these antibiotic-resistant strains, 
we find that uh, even beef, pork, chicken, and turkey, a review of the literature suggests that uh, tetracycline uh, resistance uh, is, uh, is significant, streptomycin resistance is significant, and a various range of resistance for many drugs across several different categories of antibiotics uh, is been, uh, have been isolated uh, from meat. This gives us concern in terms of the future. One of the ways that the National Research Council has addressed this is by encouraging the development of food animal vaccines to vaccine against these uh, types of uh, infectious diseases as opposed to treating them and having the immune system of the animal uh, manage the disease rather than trying to treat it with antibiotic drugs and having the uh, resistance develop. In recent uh, history here in 2006, there's been some research to demonstrate that in fact less antibiotic use in food animals can lead to less drug resistance in people. In this particular research, uh, Campylobacter was identified as uh, one of the foodborne illnesses of concern and drug resistance of Campylobacter uh, to a class of compounds called the fluoroquinolones uh, was the subject of the study. Uh, what they did was they analyzed the, the appearance of this resistance uh, in uh, this uh, uh, microbe in Australia. Australia is uh, a place where the fluoroquinolones are not allowed in terms of uh, food animal medicine. Uh, they found uh, in a survey of 585 uh, individuals that only 2% of those had acquired uh, Campylobacter isolates that were resistant to fluoroquinolones. And in fact, the drug they used was Cipro or Ciprofloxin. Uh, and uh, this compares uh, significantly with the 29% uh, uh, resistance rate that is observed in countries that allow this particular drug to be used in food animals. Uh, this also compares well with the rates they find in Sweden where they have banned this drug uh, use in food animals since 1986 and in Norway where they have never allowed it. The US FDA proposed uh, banning uh, fluoroquinolones in poultry in uh, 2000 and it was finally enacted in September of 2005. And so there is, uh, appears to be a uh, relationship in terms of removal of antibiotics from food and uh, a lower uh, resistance rate in terms of human pathogens. Well, this gives us the opportunity to summarize uh, what we might consider to be the major uh, animal drug residue concerns. Obviously, consumer health risk is a high motivator in terms of our concerns, uh, how we perceive uh, the risk of um, uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria development, how we perceive direct potential for toxicosis or allergy with drugs is a part of the whole risk assessment uh, uh, criteria that goes into the setting of tolerances and the management of animal drug residues. We also have, and we didn't speak about it today in this course, uh, some environmental concerns about the cycling of these antibiotics 
uh, in, especially in and near confined animal uh, s uh, systems like feedlots and high production facilities where there's a larger concentration of these drug residues and the potential for environmental uh, bacteria being exposed to these uh, low levels of drugs and bioactive substances. There's also a concern that we um, didn't address directly, but uh, you're probably aware of it, that some consumers just prefer to have uh, food products uh, that are not uh, treated with uh, animal drugs uh, for a wide variety of reasons. Uh, this is uh, due to their own preference, uh, perhaps their support of certain types of uh, smaller production practice. Uh, as well, we try to identify that although uh, this may be just a preference, there sometimes can be health risks associated with this in terms of an increased number of pathogens associated with commercial food products uh, produced in this manner. There is uh, another motivating concern and on the production side uh, in terms of the presence of uh, residues in their food products. Uh, this can be uh, a lost production uh, to the producer in terms of uh, a, uh, an observed residue. Uh, for example, lost milk product in terms of a tanker that tests uh, 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 on a food residue uh, screen uh, analysis. Uh, that can be 6000 to as much as $80,000 worth of lost product, and this is significant and a high motivator in terms of uh, good practice when it comes to uh, preventing animal drug residues in their product. Uh, a lost animal in terms of uh, a meat product uh, can be uh, $500 to $2,000 uh, in terms of a condemnation of the carcass, and so there's a tremendous economic motivator to uh, the correct use uh, and uh, of food, animal, drugs. There's as well the potential in terms of violative or illegal drugs being used in the food system. Uh, the potential is for legal action against the producer. Uh, this can uh, incur uh, in substantial fines, uh, legal penalties, uh, and uh, the potential for uh, criminal uh, uh, indictment. Well, this uh, is a, gives uh, us a, a, a broad background on the whole issue of animal drug residues. I invite you in your own research and reading in support of this lecture to explore this further. Uh, this is by no means definitive or detailed enough in terms of a very complex arena, the interplay between human health, animal health, and food production, at least in terms of a food toxicology perspective, it gives you an idea of how we in our society have decided to manage the use of these chemicals, to manage the, the pharmacy, so to speak, of, uh, that is available to us in terms of uh, enhancing uh, the production and uh, perhaps the food safety of uh, uh, meat uh, and meat products. Until uh, next time, we'll see you later. Thanks.